Let's rejoice. Let's thank the Lord together for his goodness. Amen, church. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, Harvest. Before we get into God's Word together, let me make a few bonus announcements. First of all, I wish you could have been in the room 15 minutes before we opened the doors because our fabulous tech, tech team in the back there, everybody can go ahead and look at our tech team back there, there were six guys standing around the computer looking at it because it was possessed by a demon, and I don't know what they did. They got our tech working wonderfully this morning. Let's, let's applaud them for what they do. You know, you know that you have a humble heart when you're serving in an area where the best thing that can happen is no one knows you're even serving that morning, right? It's the worst thing when everyone turns and looks at the tech team because something glitchy happens. So thank you guys for serving. We really appreciate you. Hey, a few other bonus announcements. First of all, let me just say a big amen to uh, Ken Henley's announcement about family camp. How many of you have been to family camp at Silver Birch Ranch in the past and come back? All right, great. That's good. <laughs> It's an adventure. Um, imagine a world where you go to, on vacation with your spouse, your family, your friends, whatever, and in the morning you get up, you have breakfast, and then you come to chapel. Um, did you see me without a beard? That was, that was me without a beard. We're going to take a vote if I should shave it or not before this summer. Uh, but uh, I share uh, a devotion from God's Word. We've got some worship led by Pastor Mark, uh, and then we have some like adult uh, basically fun games in the room there and then outside and then we pick up the kids and go to lunch and then in the afternoon there's everything from tubing to river adventures to horseback riding um, and then dinner and then in the evening we have the most cutthroat volleyball tournament you've ever been a part of. I mean, yeah, the blood has been shed on the sand of Silver Birch and then at the end you've got missionaries sharing their stories by a campfire what God's doing to the ends of the earth. So it's an amazing way to have a vacation that truly fills you up You've all been on vacations that wear you out, right? A vacation that truly fills you up spiritually, and I would just highly commend it to everybody. Uh, and uh, that's my second bonus announcement. Third bonus announcement is the phase two update is there's no update. So more of you need to pray. All right, you didn't pray about phase two in the city giving us our permit. Shame on you. I'm going to personally scold you after church. But the city is kind of delaying our ability to move forward with the phase two project. So if you could pray this week, I really mean it. Like pray, Lord, help the city to move our project forward because it's stuck. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to unveil that in the weeks ahead. So that's the phase two update. And then finally, check out the back of your bulletin. Uh, as we close out the year here, uh, there's a financial report on every bulletin. Um, overall, we're in really good striking distance of hitting our budget this year. We're about 5% behind. And I think we can close that gap. I just want to commend to you that um, even though we have a lot of people in this church, your gift to the Lord is really important. First, it's important to Him because He sees every heart and He wants to feel loved and adored here. He wants us to come into His presence and bring an offering. That's just a natural part of how we show God that we love Him. God has enjoyed, uh, you know, have you ever read the Love Languages books? Is that Gary Chapman? <coughs> right? Gifts is God's love language, or at least one of them. Uh, it, way back in the, way back in just outside the Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel were bringing stuff to God because God loves it. You know, maybe you like getting presents and so does God. So knowing that that's how he feels love, let's make sure that as we close out the year, whatever plan you had, whatever you committed to the Lord, let me just challenge you to finish that strong. Um, and your gift is very special to the Lord and to us. Uh, and we need that to support our missionaries. We need that to support our church planning efforts, our pastors, and even to keep the bills going. So if you could just finish strong with us, I'm sure we're going to have a great end to the year. And that concludes my bonus announcements. Who's ready to get into God's word? 
You have no idea what you just asked for. Because God is unleashing Hades on Pharaoh. And we are going to see, next to the flood of Noah, the greatest display, sustained display of God's wrath on a person and a people uh, that's found nowhere else in the Bible, short of the end times. Um, And we're supposed to learn lessons from this very rare instance where God basically points his artillery at this pharaoh, at this leader, at this country, and opens fire. There's a whole lot we're learning here. Um, Last week, we left off with Moses turning the Nile to blood. And there are some natural occurrences of sediment or things, pH balances in, in waters and lakes that can turn them red. That gives us an idea of what it might have looked like when the Nile turned red. I found some pictures of two recent instances of rivers turning red. So check it out. There's one from like Russia and there's another one from I forget where else. But there's, there's what it would look like if a river turned red. Do you see that? Do you see that? Now here's another picture of what happens when the water turns blood red and starts flowing. And another picture, well, the other one was in China. So these are in China and these are in Russia. Rivers just turning. I don't know what she's thinking. I just, <laughs> let me just go on record. Let me just go on record as saying, if the Cal Sag turned blood red and the Chicago River turned blood red and Lake Michigan turned blood red, I would volunteer to lead the hysteria. I, I would be at the front of the group of people who are hysterical. I'd be like, we're all going to die. That would be my opening line on the sermon that Sunday. We're all going to die. Uh, what? Blood red? And, and Pharaoh's just like, eh, eh. Now, there's a few other pictures, but some people say, well, yeah, it's because Pharaoh's seen this before. You know, uh, Pharaoh's seen because of sediments that the Nile had turned red before. So it's probably nothing more than a natural occurrence. And I would say, first of all, even if it's a natural occurrence, Moses made it happen like this. Pretty awesome. Uh, And second, I don't think it was a natural occurrence. It was clearly supernatural. I think it was a supernatural thing that something short of that had maybe happened naturally before. And Pharaoh was just like, "Uh, I've seen something like that before, so I'm probably not supposed to be afraid now. Big mistake. Uh... That's where we left off last week, is Moses supernaturally and Aaron turned the Nile to blood, and it stayed that way for a whole week. God was telling this country, I'm about to fill your land with blood if you don't get it together and let my people go. Clear warning. We're going to find out today a few things. First of all, what happens when God's enemies don't heed the warning? What happens when God's enemies don't heed the warning? Uh, That's why the title of the sermon is Escalation. And next, we're going to figure out Um, how God's people must learn to wait patiently while God deals with the sinful world around them. God, it's you and me, God's people need to learn how to wait patiently while God deals with the sinful world around us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this chance to get into your word. And this is a terrifying series uh, right now. What you're doing to Egypt is what you will do to our world in the end times. It's terrifying. I pray, Lord, for those today here who are born-again followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Show us how we can wait patiently while you deal with the sinful world. I pray for those who are on the fence, 
who are undecided about the Lord Jesus Christ, who have yet to fully surrender their lives to you. I pray that you would show them, Lord, your wrath and show them your mercy through this story. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to Exodus chapters 8 and 9. Yes, I can preach on two full chapters in one Sunday. Why would you question me, please? I've preached whole sermons on one verse. You've probably been here for some of those. And I've filled the time, right? So don't worry. We will get through Exodus chapters 8 and part of 9 together here. So here we are in Exodus chapter 8. I hope you're turning there so that you don't think I'm making this up. The first plague was the blood. The second plague is coming. It says this in Exodus. We're 1500 B.C. If you missed a few sermons, go online and get them. But uh, we're 1500 B.C. And God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. He said, I'm going to raise up a people. I'm going to give them a land, a seed, a blessing. Through this nation, Israel would come the Messiah. Pharaoh's refusal to let the Israelites go and have a land and establish a people is Pharaoh standing in the way of this Messiah coming into the world. You understand that? No salvation for you or me uh, unless Israel can go and start and form and Jesus can be born and die on the cross. So he's getting in the way of God's plan to save you. All right, I hope you're rooting for God in this because your salvation and mine is on the line. Here we are in chapter 8 where it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague your country with dot, dot, dot. What does it say there? Now I'm going to say frogs and I just want you all to gasp in horror, right? I'm going to plague your country with frogs. <laughs> Unleash the frogs. I mean, of all the animals God could have chosen, this is very puzzling. He didn't say snakes. How many of you would be more afraid if your house was full of snakes by the time you got home today than frogs? All right? How many of you would be more afraid of spiders than even snakes? I mean, big ones. Big ones. All right, if you went home today and your house, if you had a choice between snakes and spiders and frogs, I'm pretty sure I think I'd know what you'd pick. Frogs, right? Frogs. I mean, a little more manageable. You certainly wouldn't go with rats, right? And God could have unleashed the rats. So what's with the frogs? Has there ever been a great frog villain? Let's think of a few famous frogs. Kermit. Not afraid of him. Uh, like Frogger the video game, he's got his own problems. Like he's not coming for me. He just can't even get across the street. You've got, who else? Um, Diggum on Honey Smacks, right? The cereal icon. I'm not too nervous about him. And, and then there's like that Looney Tune Michigan J Frog that sings in a top hat. So I'm really not terrified by any frog that I've ever, unless I'm missing one. You know of a frog villain? Uh, so I'm really confused by this. You turn the Nile to blood and then you fill the land with frogs. I'm just not getting it. I'm, I'm no history buff, but um, I did do a little research, and here's what I found out. Um, Egypt, the Egyptians believed in many gods. They were polytheistic. And we learn a few things about their gods that make this an interesting plague. They believed in a goddess named Hecat who was frog-headed in some of the depictions. In fact, we've got a picture of this goddess, Hecat. Uh, we're going to put up there, I think. Egyptian. There we go. You see on the right there? Frog-headed goddess. And then on the next picture, we've got one more. Uh, and so there she is. She's got a frog for a head. 
you know, you've seen the Egyptian movies in our day, and you've seen the hieroglyphics. A lot of their gods have animal heads. Okay. Now, what do we know about this goddess? Well, we know they believe that she breathed life into all bodies that were formed by her husband, the creator god, um, Kanum. Therefore, she's the goddess of fertility and the giver of life. Some women wore amulets of this goddess during childbirth, trying to be protected, and the amulet was a frog on a lotus. A frog, they'd have a frog necklace on so that this goddess would protect them and give their child life. So this frog goddess was like the giver of all life, and not just in this world, she was also the giver of rebirth. So when the pharaoh had quite a journey ahead of him after he died on the way to you know, the, uh, the afterlife, guess who would be there helping him to find life afterwards? Well, it would be this goddess. So she's pretty important, and because of that, the frogs um, were kind of a symbol, a good omen, that she's happy. You know, life is coming, and when frogs would appear on the Nile, when frogs would come out, it's like, oh, it's going to be a good year. Maybe we'll have a lot of babies. Like, this is great. You know, she's active and at work and alive. Um, when the land is filled with frogs, more, more frogs than they know what to do with, and it's Moses who's making it happen, what does that say to all the Egyptians? Um, at least my God's controlling your God. At worst, for them, your God is no God. My God controls what you thought your God controls. Do you see that? Uh, and again, a lot of this, their, their theology, their belief is very confusing and it even changed over time. We don't know what they thought about this goddess during the time, but this just gives us a window into what God may have been saying to them. We do know that one of the oldest beliefs in the Egyptian theology was that their world started with four original gods, and on some of the depictions of these gods, check it out. Here's a picture of their four original gods who, who led things into creation and their four corresponding goddesses. What do you know, what do you see about all the four gods? What do they have? What kind of head? Frog heads. See? So the frog was linked into not just life coming into the world, but the world coming into life. They had this connection between frog and life, the life of the world and the life of their babies, and God is now in control of the frogs. Put all that together, and I think we do get an idea of what God is saying to them, and I think we understand that while we wouldn't get the message if we walked home to a house full of frogs, they would. God is in control of life. Then, when at Moses' command, all the frogs die, guess what else? God is in control of death, and your God can't stop him. This is horrifying, uh, very terrifying, that Moses' God is now in control of life. Jot this down, number one. What we see here is heaven and earth are at war. Heaven and earth are at war. Surrender the fight. What you see here is an earthly Pharaoh who thinks he's a god, who represents other gods he thinks protects his land, and that Pharaoh is waging war on the one true God. Heaven and earth are at war. And that war is spilling over into the uh, governance of this country and the mindset of the rulers. As we read on, it goes on to say this in chapter 8, I will plague your country with frogs. Verse 3. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that, you shall, uh, that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and over your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. They're everywhere. 
The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Again, we don't know what happened here. Um, we don't know the magicians. Some people think the magicians were faking it. They were coming up with counterfeit miracles. Not that hard to do when the frogs are coming up from everywhere. You just wave your hand and it's like, poof, we did it too. We don't know. Um, verse 8, Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Notice that the Pharaoh's assistants could not prevent the plagues and could not reverse the plagues. They're no match. They could kind of reproduce them, but they couldn't prevent them, couldn't cleanse them. So they, so they had to be reversed by Moses. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. Pick a time. Because Pharaoh's so stubborn, he said, Tomorrow. Not today. Tomorrow. Thinks he's in control. Moses said, be it as you say, so that, listen, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. This is what God wants you to know. There is no one like the Lord our God. His power, his mercy, his love, his control. There is no one like the Lord our God. This is the one lesson that is being beaten into Pharaoh's mind. You're not a God. Your gods aren't gods. There is no one like the Lord our God. And Pharaoh will not learn that lesson. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs. That's a funny prayer. That is a really funny prayer. The frogs, take them away, cried to the Lord about the frogs. As he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Yuck. Everybody say, yuck. You could just hold your nose for the rest of this first point, just to pretend that it was so bad. It just smelled everywhere. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Number one is this, heaven and earth are at war, surrender the fight. This is a message to everyone in this room who is still fighting God. Listen, you have to surrender the fight. You have to. Maybe you've gone round one, two, three with God. Round four is coming. Maybe you've gone round eight with God. Round nine's coming. Uh, the fight, the longer you keep the fight going between you and God, the harder life will get. Heaven and earth are at war, and we have to understand that this conflict between heaven and earth, this battle rages right in here, in your own heart. You and I, we are born at war with God. We fight Him. Uh, we fight Him for control. We fight Him. And we have to believe the truth about the one true God. Understand also that we fight Him in different ways. Sometimes we're like, I know everything that you're saying about God, and I just won't believe it. Uh, but other times, we believe something else instead. And we might be very confident in that belief or that other faith or that other religion. And guess what? That's another way that we are at war with God. Because those gods and that faith cannot save you. And there is no one like the Lord our God. 
And so this is a challenge to abandon any other hope than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, you're at war with God. Number one, heaven and earth are at war, and we are challenged to surrender the fight. Number two, God's patience is limited. We have to stop the games. God's patience is limited. We have to stop the games. Reading on in verse 15, it says, He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So he said, I'm going to let him go. And then the frogs die, and he's like, I'm not going to let him go. He's playing games. Verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. What are these? We don't exactly know what they are. Swarming insects, smaller, um, pesky. I don't think we're talking fruit flies here. Okay, those are annoying. Um, But this word could encompass anything from biting insects, flies. It could also be like lice, tiny little critters, lice. Have you had lice? Not fun. When, when that is going around school and you got to start checking hair, not a good day. And if this is what it was, the strike the dust and imagine an army of lice on everyone and everything. Everywhere. Everywhere. Every kid in school's got it. Uh, what a nightmare. Am I right? And disease can come with that. Here they are. So they may, may become gnats in all the land. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. Notice God's ability to control every big and small thing in your entire world. If he wants to do something with gnats, he can do it like that. Frogs, water, he's in total control. There is no one like the Lord our God. There were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce the gnats, but they could not. It's really funny. Just picture it being like, turn into a gnat. Turn into a gnat. Turn into a we gnat. We got nothing. We, I know. we got the other ones to kind of work, and now we're just clueless how to make this happen. Um, they gave up. They gave up the fight or the deception that they were actually able to do these things. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Now they're convinced. They're, they're checking their kids' hair at home, and they're like, uh, this, this has got to stop. All right, water, week of water, that was bad. Frogs, all right, we're scared, but, but now this has got to stop. They're telling him. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now he's not even listening to his advisors. I'm not hearing it from you, Moses. Who is the God that I should fear? Him? Now his own advisors are saying, hey, this is God. And they're like, I'm not hearing it from you either. And their ears are getting, his ears are getting smaller and smaller. God's patience is limited. We have to stop the games. Maybe when you were younger, you were a little more open to spiritual conversations. Maybe you would talk about these things. And maybe as you've gotten older, you've grown harder toward the things of God. You don't want to hear it from people anymore. And if people even bring it up, you get agitated. Let me just warn you, God's patience is running out. God's patience is running out. You have to stop the games and believe the warning. Pharaoh was bargaining with God. Maybe this is you. Maybe you make deals with God when life is hard. But you stop short of fully surrendering your life to him. Maybe when a bomb blows up and your kids get sick or your marriage is on the rocks or whatever, or your finances, then you run to church. Maybe some of you are here right now because of this. You want God to take your problem away. And that's the deal. I'll come to church and God will take my problem away. And then if God takes your problem away, you stop coming to church. Is that you? Are you making deals with God? 
Are you bargaining with God to take your problem away? Do you run to God when life is hard and then run away when the problems go away? We have to see how God feels about that. God feels um, that he wants total surrender from us. And he won't play this game. He won't play this game. His patience is limited and we have to stop the games, stop the bargains, stop the deals. The truth is, you and I, we were born into a world that was at war with God. That's why things are so bad. Because we're born into a world that's at war with God. And that war reaches into our hearts. And we have to lay down our arms and surrender the fight. Why is the world so bad? How come God's letting it get so terrible? How can God permit these things? The world is at war with God. It's like life 101. The world is at war with God. Well, if I were God, I wouldn't let some of these things happen. You're not God. Um, And that attitude is what leads to these problems. My five-year-old son, Jared, several years ago, he's older now, but when my son was five... He was having a bad day, as five-year-olds can apparently have. And my five-year-old son, having a bad day, threw his hands up in the air and said, this is the worst planet I've ever lived on. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, Your Majesty. (laughs) Allow us to begin making this more cushy. You feel that same way, though, don't you? What's going on in the world today? How come things are so bad? Uh, This world is at war with God. And you didn't start it, but you were born into it. Here's a few pictures of warfare. This is what it feels like between God and man. Uh, Here's another picture. This is what it feels like between God and man. If you think you've always been good with God and he's always loved you and, and you've always known him, here's another picture. You don't understand that this was your starting point between you and God. You were hostile toward your maker. War. And you have to lay down your weapons and surrender the fight and stop the games at some point. The Bible is very clear. Over and over again, we see that if we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. And maybe the pain in your life right now is God's way of showing you that your way isn't working. Your way has failed. You've tried it without him, and it's not working. It's failed. And the pain is God's way of showing you that he's absent Sometimes I hear people who have just made such a train wreck of their lives, and they're like, but I know God's there. And I'm like, no, I don't think he is. In fact, I think the mess that you're in right now is God's way of trying to show you, I'm not there. Uh, I'm not there. uh, So pain proves God's absence to people who aren't following him. But pain proves God's presence to people who are following him. God's patience is limited. We have to stop the games. Maybe you're finally ready to admit that your way has led to disaster in your relationships or in your finances or in your marriage or with your kids. Your way has failed. And God's plan is to show you if you surrender, you can have peace with God. Number one, heaven and earth are at war. Surrender the fight. Number two, God's patience is limited. Stop the games. Number three, God's word is certain, obey it. God's word is certain, obey it. It goes on to say in verse 24, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, keep saying that, right? Moses is speaking for God. Thus says the Lord, Let my people go 
that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Uh, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, that's where the Israelites were, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Wow. So here come the flies. Here come the flies. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt, and the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. God's word is certain. Check out chapter 9, verse 1. Pharaoh hardened his heart, wasn't ready to let the people go. Then, in chapter 9, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are on the field. The horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. He's checking. He's checking. Oh, go see. Go see if it's true. Like, he still doesn't get it. Go see and check if the Israelites, if their animals died or didn't. They didn't? No, they didn't. What is he doing? But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. God's word, it is God's word, and it is certain. It is God's word, and it is certain, and you must obey it. God hits the livestock now. There's, there goes the food supply. All right, you go out to the restaurant, no more steak. Maybe for some of the guys in the room, like that's the point where you'd be like, I'm going to the Pharaoh and we got to get this fixed today. All right, because I've got my dinner and I've got my place and I like my special on Monday nights and now there's no more steak. Food source is gone. I mean, the shelves are just empty. And this is a warning to the enemies of God. Uh, listen, the consequences of your godless life will come upon you. God is showing his patience. He won't bring, praise God for this, nobody in this room has lived out the full consequences of all their sins. Do you know how thankful I am for that? No one in this room has lived out exactly what you have deserved for all of your sins because of God's mercy. But he will bring the consequences of your sin on you gradually over time. And you will continue to see year after year after year, my way isn't working, my way isn't working, my way isn't working. And God's showing you that his word is certain. There's two ways to figure out if God's word is true. Obey it or break it. And if you break God's law, you'll find out the hard way it's true. And if you follow God's law, I say this to my kids all the time. I'll just say, listen, this is what God wants you to do. You'll learn either way that it's true. Just don't learn it the hard way if you don't have to. All right? And I just say it with absolute certainty. Hey, what I'm saying is true. And you'll learn it either way. Please don't learn it the hard way. God's word is certain. Obey it. You will reap what you sow. And if you're managing the pain and consequences of your sin, it will only get worse. If you're not listening to God's messenger, if you're not willing to let this book guide your life, 
If your ears are plugged up and you refuse to hear it, the consequences of your sin are coming on you. And God's word will come true. Stop playing games. Stop negotiating deals. Stop the half-hearted effort to keep God off your back. That will fail every time. And understand that the word that I'm sharing with you today from this book has divine authority, whether you believe it or not. This book has heavenly authority. And so you will be held accountable for hearing from this book. Check out what it says in Revelation 22, 18 to 19 about the word of God. It says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book, this book, this book, this book. If you subtract the parts of this book you like and you only listen to certain parts, if you're taking away from this word of prophecy, God has taken away your place in heaven. There's a one-to-one correspondence. If you're cutting things out of this book, God's cutting you out of heaven. Do you understand that? This is the way to know the Lord and to get into heaven. And if what I'm sharing with you today is just bouncing off and going in one ear and out the other, that will be brought up on judgment day. God's word is certain. It is God's word and it is certain and we must obey it. This is a warning to the enemies of God. God is making an example of Pharaoh in Egypt. Look at, look at Pharaoh and look at Egypt and God is saying, behold the future of any ruler and any nation that defies and forgets me. Uh, and America is playing games with God right now. And they're not going to win. The world will not win. It won't end well and we've been warned. This is a warning to the enemies of God, but this is also an encouragement for the friends and family of God. Uh, It's an encouragement. Because life for the Israelites is crazy right now. I mean, look at what God's doing to the Egyptians. Life all around them. They are so uncertain. And Pharaoh at any moment could just send his army in to wipe them out. They are so terrified. And we see in the Israelites a protection from the Lord in the midst of the plagues. This is encouraging. We see God's not sending the flies into this part. All right, just, try, just try next summer and talk to the flies in your house about where they can't go. Just try it. Just go outside or inside, wherever they are, and be like, flies, I'm going to establish some boundaries. Good luck with that. And God's like, you won't go here. And they're like, buzz. Uh, <laughs> all right. And then, how did the livestock die? I don't know. Was it disease from the lice or the gnats or the flies? I don't even know. But the livestock died in Egypt and didn't die in Israel. So, this is an encouragement for the friends and the family of God. God's people can have confidence that God is at work when times are tough. This is true. God is at work when times are tough. I like what C.S. Lewis said about when life gets hard. He says, that is why we must not be surprised if we are in for a rough time. When a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well in the sense that some of his bad habits are now corrected, he often feels that it would now be natural if things went fairly smoothly. When trouble comes along, illnesses, money troubles, new kinds of temptation, he's disappointed. These things, he feels, might have been necessary to rouse him and make him repent in his bad old days, but why now? 
uh, because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level, putting him into situations where he will have to be very much braver or more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. It seems to us all unnecessary, but that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing he means to make of us. That's true for Israel. They had no clue what God was making of them. The people of God, where the Messiah would come forth. They had no idea. They had no idea about David and Goliath. They had no idea what was coming, Solomon and the wisdom. They didn't know. They just knew that the world around them was getting torn down. But what confidence you can have when you see trouble all around you that your God is faithfully at work. And he's using this. Listen, let me just challenge you. If you are a believer in Christ, endure patiently by faith. Cling to God's promises. You won't see immediate results. But don't fear any opposition and never give up hope that God is at work. No matter how bad it gets all around you. In the end times, it says, men will faint for terror of the things coming on the earth. And you know what the Bible says to believers? Stand and lift up your head. When the dude next to you hits the floor, you stand up and you look because your Savior's coming back. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's the confidence you can have. This is apocalyptic stuff. And God's people are waiting patiently. Number one, heaven and earth are at war. Surrender the fight. Number two, God's patience is limited. Stop the games. Number three, God's word is certain. Obey it. Number four, God's wrath is terrible. Flee it. Reading on chapter 9, verse 8. The sixth plague. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out on in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air. And it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Wow. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken. This is powerful. Early on, the magicians would come in and they would, you know, do the same thing Moses did. And now they're on the floor. Just picture Moses walking in. Hello down there. Ouch. They look like burn victims. Oh, pussy. Yuck. And they can't even stand up anymore. God's wrath is terrible. Some people say, well, this is all just natural. The Nile was filled with sediment and the frogs all came out. Then they died and that brought the flies and the gnats. And then the flies and the gnats and the lice brought the disease and the animals died. And, and that created skin. All right, maybe. Pretty soon you're going to have to start explaining how fire falls from heaven from that. All right, good luck with that one. Well, the frogs affected the wind. No, just stop. This is supernatural. All right, it's a supernatural stuff. It happened on command, and it couldn't be reversed until the man of God said so. This is escalation. God's wrath is terrible, and, and 
We have to flee it. Pharaoh shows us a few things. This gets a little artistic here, but in the same person, Pharaoh, we see a few things. Biblically, we can see the heart of the world. Pharaoh represents the world at war with God. And though God throws his plagues on the world at the end, it will not repent. So the heart of Pharaoh shows the heart of the world. The war between God and Pharaoh shows the war between the world and Pharaoh. Okay. Pharaoh will ultimately also be used to, to show the heart of Israel. When Israel rejected the Messiah, Paul drew a parallel in the book of Romans and said, For this I have raised you up for this very purpose. Meaning Israel sadly would eventually take on the heart of Pharaoh and challenge God to his face, the Messiah Jesus Christ. Pharaoh also represents you, you and me. This is our starting point. We start with a hard heart that's rebellious against God. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in the church. You still got the same make and model heart as everyone else in the room. And maybe you've been around Christians your whole life, but please never tell anyone you've been a Christian your whole life. You know, maybe, maybe you have never come to the realization that your heart was resistant to the truths of God. Maybe you got saved at a young age, four, five, six, that's wonderful. But still, the things that happened in your heart were supernatural. God took out a heart of stone and put a brand new heart. That's how you get saved. And if you haven't been born again, you're not God's child. I just want you to understand that too many people live in this life thinking God's wrath was never aimed at them. Oh, well, when I was a kid, you know, I hadn't reached the age of accountability yet. Um, you were a child of wrath. You were. And then, you know, I did my confirmation that, you know, and I believed and I became, as if they stepped from like I was protected from God's wrath by mom to, and then, and then I kind of did a religious thing. So I'm good. I'm good. Um, if you don't live in this world like there's an address in hell with your name on it, you don't understand. You don't even understand what Jesus came to do. You were born under God's wrath. If you have not fled to the refuge of the cross, you don't know the first thing about what God has done for you. Uh, God's wrath is terrible. Flee it. Pharaoh hardened his heart, clung to his power, flaunted his godlessness, disregarded his people's suffering, despised God's messenger. He manipulated, he displayed false repentance, and he failed to heed God's warning. If those are the things you're doing, I would just challenge you right now. Game's over. These boils brought tremendous pain. They couldn't even stand up. It was like Job. It's been said before that God's plan A is humility and God's plan B is humiliation. God's humiliating the Pharaoh's servants right now. Oh, they had a chance while they were on their feet. No more chance for that. And maybe, maybe you're just totally humiliated right now in life. And God's like, wake up, wake. Have you had a wake-up call? I've talked to so many people in the past. They tell me about their life, and they have had wake-up calls. <laughs> Surviving car accidents or, or getting out of cancer treatment or whatever. And I talk to them, and I'm like, it doesn't sound like you should be here anymore. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know. Are, are you good with God yet? Well, no, I still have some questions. What? You're on borrowed time, pal. The, the buzzer went off, and God put you back in the game. What more is it going to take? And, and it's very sad to say it, but there are some people in this room who will never give up the fight, and I'm sad for you. But there are other people who are willing to give up the fight, and they know it's time. And I'm talking to you. 
Maybe this is your major wake-up call. Fear God's wrath. Flee God's wrath. Well, how can I? How can I? This is the beautiful news. Moses really is acting out what Jesus would do. Moses shows up, speaks to the Pharaoh, says, let my people in slavery go. Walks the people through the Red Sea, settles them in a land of promise. Moses is acting out what Jesus would do for you spiritually. Jesus would show up and say to sin and Satan and death, let my people go. Then he would walk his people through the waters of death. Then he would settle them in a land of promise. That's heaven. And if you trust the Lord Jesus, he's your deliverer. He has the authority to speak on God's behalf, to set you free from sin. He has the power to walk you safely through the waters of death. He has the authority to give you a home in heaven. Only Jesus can do that. Moses is acting out what Jesus is going to do for you and me. If you want to go to heaven, here's what you have to understand. At the cross, Jesus did something for you. He did something. He died and his blood was shed and he died on a cross. The Bible says because of that, he can make atonement for your sin. It's a beautiful doctrine, the doctrine of atonement. It means that because of what Jesus did and because of his blood that was shed, when the wrath of God comes, it passes over you. The wrath of God, we'll see in a few plagues, is going to come on all the firstborn of Egypt and they're going to die. That same wrath flies over the Israelites' camp, but it passes by. Do you remember why? Why did it pass by? Because it saw what on the doorpost? The blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. The the angel of the Lord is coming through the Israelites' camp, capable of taking every firstborn child out of the world. And he's got the ability to do it, and he sees what? He sees the blood. See, God doesn't sweep sins under the rug here. His wrath is coming on you and me. But if he sees something, if he sees the blood of the lamb, and who is Jesus called? Jesus was called the lamb of God. If he sees the blood of the lamb over your life, the wrath passes by and doesn't touch you. The reason is because Jesus took the penalty on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. Because he paid the penalty, God's wrath is terrible, but it will pass over you. Not because you've done a few good things. I can just imagine you looking up at the wrath of God and being like, no, 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 I gave a little money to orphans. Uh, Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Your goodness won't make God's wrath pass by. It's Christ's goodness and power that will make God's wrath pass over your life. Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord? Have you trusted his death on the cross as your salvation? If you have, God's wrath won't touch you ever. Wow. His wrath won't touch you ever. We've been at war with God and his wrath is coming on us and we must listen to God's messenger, lay down our weapons, submit to his law, and receive his pardon. Have you done that? If you haven't, today can be the day. If you have, you must trust, trust God while he deals with the rebellion of the world around you faithfully because he is. I want to give you a chance to respond to the gospel you've heard right now. We're all going to close our eyes and bow our hearts before the Lord and just talk to God. And if you have never asked God for forgiveness and pardon, if you have never given up the fight, I want to give you the chance right now to respond to what you heard by humbly speaking to the holy God who made you, who rules your life, and who loves you dearly. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now and talk to God. Father, what a strong and cautionary story we have 
And I just think of anyone who's here today who has been fighting God for too long. Uh, They've been playing games for too long. They've been managing sin for too long. They've been following the wrong thing for too long. And they feel it. They feel it because your spirit is making them feel it right now. That it's time to give up the fight. Your wrath is coming. Uh, This world will burn. And we will all one day be called into your presence to give an answer for the life that we've lived. And that will be a wonderful day for people who are clinging to the cross. And that will be a terrifying day for people who are holding on to any other hope. Lord, for anyone who is here today who is ready to accept the free gift of eternal life found in the Savior Jesus Christ, I give them a chance right now to talk to you and to say in their own heart this, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I'm Pharaoh. I've rebelled against you. I've neglected you. I've ignored you. I've not listened to your messenger. That's me. Forgive me. Father, I pray that you would help these people to say, Jesus, save me. Deliver me. Rescue me. Break the shackles of sin. Lead me through the waters of death. Promise me paradise forever. Lord, for those who are crying out to you right now in their own heart, give them confidence that you will never leave them. You will never forsake them. That your word is true and that you will hold on to them for eternity. And best of all, your wrath will never touch them. I pray for all those who are walking by faith through hard days, Lord, and they are feeling the effects because the world is at war with you, Lord. Life is hard and getting harder. It's bad and getting worse. And just give them encouragement that you're at work in their world. Show them that they can trust your promises even when everything gets dark. Show them that the battle will soon be over. It's already won. And our light and momentary afflictions will achieve for us an eternal weight of glory beyond measure. Praise you for that hope. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand and let's sing. Through the heavens as royal robes fashion the morning heavenly 